0: Hey everybody, this is James speaking Um, This show is going to be a little bit different I'm going to talk about MMA, mixed martial arts, and the upcoming fights Since my dad says he's just so tired of me talking about it over and over again And that I should just put somebody else through all this So I guess you're the lucky ones Uh, Hopefully you can learn something new and it's just me babbling on about something And um, maybe you'll enjoy it along the way So, thank you. Hello, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the fights over the weekend. Um, It was a pretty eventful weekend for the MMA leader, the UFC, putting on their first Fight Island show. You know, um, I understand that some people may have not enjoyed it because the main event was not. Uh, maybe what was not advertised And uh, also the co-main event Some people saw some controversy And we're gonna, you know, I'll give my take on it You know, it's We'll unpack it a little bit We'll unpack the whole um, card And we'll talk about about Where does these fights put all these guys The winners and losers In the division And we'll just have some fun You know, talk about some Craziness in MMA May. And we'll go from there. So the first fight on the card So the first fight on the card is the I mean um before we talk about the main card, I would like to talk about one prelim fight Vulcan Ustamir versus um a newcomer I um excuse me if I mispronounce the name Paul Prochazaka from Czech I believe he's from the Czech Republic. I believe he's from Czech. I think, uh, yeah, I think so. So he, um, Jerry. I'm just gonna, kinda, I'm just gonna say Jerry. He's from um, a fighting organization known as Risen. It's a Japanese organization. You know they're they're pretty popular as well, and he's this is a fight that happened at 205 pounds, light heavyweight. So the fighters have to come in weighing at least. At the minimum, at the maximum, 206 pounds. You know, Volkan Ustamir was taking a big risk taking this fight. He's this a guy who, not that long ago, like three or four fights ago, he fought Daniel Cormier and lost. But, you know, still, he fought for the title. And then even the fights after that were against very good guys. So, there's a big risk taking on Jiri. Proch, uh, taking on Jiri. You know, a new kid on the block. Um... And, you know, the fight, it, it looked uh, pretty... You know, and Jerry won by second round KO of 49 seconds left. In the... Uh, 49 seconds into to the second round, I mean. And, you know, he looked very good. You know, there's some spots in the first round where he got in a little bit of trouble. You know, he's a very entertaining fighter. And if you're not into MMA, I definitely wa- uh recommend watching him. I don't know if he's ever going to become a champion. It's going to be very difficult in this division. But, you know, he, he looks like a guy who's going to put on entertaining fights. And at least he could do that. And then we'll see where he goes from there. Uh, he, there was very little grappling in this fight. He, he's pretty funny. Like, he was just moving his head. He was putting his hands together. Kind of like baiting Ustamir. He's doing a lot of tricks on him. It was pretty funny. He got rocked at a certain point. Ustamir, um, rocked Jiri. And it didn't look that great for Jiri. And then the second round... You know, he um, ends up rocking Ustimir. Ustamir Ustamir's moving back to the cage. And uh, Jerry hits him with a gigantic right hand that puts Ustamir out. You got to feel bad for Ustamir because. <clears throat> excuse me. You got to feel bad for him because. You know, he, he's a guy who. He was fighting for the title once. And this is a division where John Jones. Where I'm sure if you're a sports fan. Very dominant champion. Has defended the belt. At least. Um. Eight times in his first title, uh, I believe uh, seven times in his first title. No, eight times his first title run. Now he's defended it three times in his second title run. He hasn't lost yet, so you know um, it's gonna. It's hard for anybody to get a title shot, especially after you lost. Uh, after you've already done a title shot and lost. So for Ustamir, you're just thinking, just take as many fights as you can, and if John Jones or any champion. If a new champion comes to be, you know, you try to take that fight. And, you know, there's a risk always. But I understand where Uzimir's is coming from. He wants to be busy. And uh, things didn't pay out for him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where these two guys go. Because Ustimer was ranked number seven. And then he loses to, he loses to an unranked opponent. But, you know, this is a heavy, uh, light heavyweight. The divisions aren't so stacked like some of the other divisions we're going to speak about uh later in the program so I don't think he falls too much far behind I think personally he should be fighting Johnny Walker Johnny Walker hasn't won in his last uh two fights also he's considered an unexperienced guy but he's a big enough name that if Demir beats him you know it's a big uh big accomplishment for at least casual fans and then he uh also um you know, for Johnny Walker there's some motivation in fighting Ustemir, a guy who fought for the title before. For Jury Prochka, I think he should probably fight either um Anthony Smith. I understand Anthony Smith is supposed to be fighting someone in August. Either way I think win or lose, uh, he should fight Jiri. Because I believe they're stylistically they're an interesting matchup. Anthony Smith, a very long rangey guy. Jury a guy who's very tall in his own right. And also, they're both strikers, so I like to see that happen. Also, they're very two very different fighters. Anthony Smith, the guy who, you know, no offense to him, I understand. Like, one thing people should know, and I think a lot of people think assume this, is that there's like a couple of MMA UFC fighters who, popular UFC fighters who are analysts. And sometimes they're very smart and intelligent, like Dominic Cruz, like Daniel Cormier. And it transfers to the fight sometimes, but then there's... Sometimes I believe there's fighters on the desk who people kind of put too much value into all their commentators and analysts, so they have to be smart. Like Anthony Smith, I think he's a decently smart, intelligent uh, fighter. He has high fight IQ. Some people say he has high fight IQ, which means that, you know, he understands studying the opponent. He doesn't put himself at risk. But I totally disagree with that. You look at a lot of his fights, um, you know, some of them he kind of... Doesn't fight the smartest, I would say. He puts himself in danger. So I go against a guy like Jiri G- Poshka who's new, you got a lot to lose, you got to fight smart. So I think if Anthony beats him, he's going to have to improve a little bit on his fight IQ. And if Jiri beats Anthony Smith, that means Jiri could pretty much do what he does, what he did to Ustamir, to anybody in the light heavyweight division. And it'll be interesting to see him fight um, coming up. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, the story behind him was that you know, I, as I said before, he was a ch- light heavyweight champion in Risen. And then he, um, you know, he, what's it called? He uh, he was uh, highly touted. You know, a lot of people talked about him. So uh, I'm definitely, I hope uh, we see enough of him. And you'll see, hope he stays active and all that jazz. Next fight, we have the main card opener and Amanda Hibas versus Paige Van Zand. As I told everybody before, there's a lot of pressure going for Page Van <clears throat> Excuse me. And she, um, you know, she had a lot to ride on in this fight. And Amanda Hebos, you know, she has everything to gain. So, and basically the fight went how I thought it was going to go. Um, Page man Santa looked like in the beginning of the fight. You know, I understand in a lot of her interviews, she said she worked on a lot of her striking. A lot of Muay Thai. So, I mean, you know, fighting from a distance with... Uh, kicks, hard kicks, elbows, you know, um, punching combinations. Something that I thought, you know, it's a good sign for her because she needs to work on that. She looked like she was trying to find the outside because He-Boss, um, even though He-Boss is a very good striker, in her own right, she has... Um, Van Zandt thought that the worst of two evils is he submission grappling game. You know, um, tapping people out of arm bars and rear naked chokes. <laughs> So um, Van Zandt was trying to stay on the outside and, you know, to be honest, she didn't have that much success on the outside. She got hit to the body with a lot of hard knees in the clinch. And Kiba um, ended up getting an advantageous position by throwing Paige Zan. Um, she got, uh, she was automatically outside of Patreon guard. Guard meaning, um, if you watch, um, we're going to get to them later, but Jorge Masvidal versus Kamaru Usman. When uh, Masvidal was taken down, he used his legs to wrap around Kamaru Usman. And the point is supposed to be that instead of Um Jorge not using his legs, it would be his upper body and arms versus Kamaru Usman's upper body and arms and gravity. So Jorge uses his legs to protect himself to make sure uh, to gain a lot of power. Ground and pound, Kamaru Usman needed to posture up, meaning that if Jorge's grabbing onto the back of his head, he has to break that grip. And now he has enough distance on the ground to really land some good shots. But Jorge uses, you know, things like his legs to help him keep Camaro from what we call posturing up. And the guard is a big part of um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA. Because also you could submit people. You could protect yourself from punches, as I just said. And he boss when she threw Van Zandt, there was, um, she automatically got around those legs. Got around Patriots and guard. She's about to take uh, pinch. Adrian Zan was trying to belly down, meaning that first her belly button was looking up to the sky, right? And Hebos was on top of her, and what we call side control. And side control is the main position where we um after you end up after passing the guard, and then she went to what we call scarf position, where um she kind of like how you say it. Amanda Hebos wears Adrian Zan like a, I mean Amanda. and Zan wears Amanda Hebos' arms like a scarf he bosss left arm at uh, I believe um her left arm is around van Zant's neck and her right arm is um on top of Patreon Sant's left arm and um you know Patreon Zant one thing that's good about the position for Patriot Zant on the bottom is that if she's slipping out um under um he armpit onto her back she could put her right leg into the inner like um thigh and uh, crotch area of he and put her right leg there. And end up starting to take the back of Boss Or getting up. And um, Hibos, um was aware of that. That Patreon Zan was going to belly down. Meaning that her belly was going to look down to the floor. What we call a turtle position. And then boss automatically took her back. boss was falling off of the back. And she was able to grab an arm in the last second. And then she got an arm bar and uh, submitted to which was very impressive for Amanda Ibosh. You know, she was able to tap out um, Paige Van Zandt, who's a very tough girl. You know, usually Van Zandt's fights are always very chaotic, and you know, Hibos made it look like anything. But you know, she made it look like she was like, doing a martial arts demonstration. And uh, you know, hats off to her for Paige Van Zandt. It's gonna be very difficult because, as I said before, she was talking a lot about making money in other sports, a lot about. Um, going to other places, how she made more money in Dancing with the Stars, basically saying how the UFC's opportunity that they gave her, there's no point. Which I said, uh, you know, if she was a very good fighter, like a Jorge Masvidal, who betted, uh, not betted on himself, but, you know, Jorge said, I don't want to fight. And I go, you know, he's a big enough name, a big enough draw. He's a good enough fighter to do that. And he fights, (coughs) you know, uh, he's as active as you can get. So, you know, it's whatever for him. Van Zandt only fights once a year and she wins and loses. Alter she alternates between wins and losses. So, you know, Dana White was saying they're asking, what are you gonna are you gonna try to sign her back on? And he said, I kinda recommend you I recommend her do free agency, basically saying, Get the F out of this organization page, like all the things she said. So for her, I think, you know, we're not sure if she's gonna stick around in the organization. To be honest, I thought if she won. It wouldn't matter, but the loss just really just puts the nail in the coffin of her UFC career, in my opinion. Um, for her, I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm not really sure who she should be fighting. It's kind of difficult to see. Uh, perhaps um, Valentina Shevchenko's sister. I know Shevchenko's very high level, but you know this is the same weight class. I know that uh, there's always rumors about them fighting Van Zandt. Even though, you know, she's uh she doesn't she looks like she's down and out, I do believe she holds a grandpa, a grappling and experience advantage over uh Antonino Shevchenko, Valentina Shevchenko's sister. So maybe that could be one. For Amanda Hebas, I would like to see her fight the winner of um Angela Hill and Michelle Watterson. Michelle Watterson and Angela Hill very well known as being top fifteen fighters in the strawweight hundred and fifteen pound division where he bus typically fights at this fight was taking place 125 pounds but he kind of took like a detour for this fight because you know beating Pedro and zan comes with so many um so many benefits right people know you more things like that so i think she should try to fight one of those girls you know they're very highly ranked um you get a win over either one of them it's uh you know you become it's a big deal essentially So on to the next fight. The first real big um, high-level fight um, that we talked about. Jessica Andrade, former strawweight champion, as we talked about. Rose Namajunas, another former strawweight champion. Rematching second fight. Jessica Andrade won the first one via slam. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, go watch um, my pre-fight analysis for uh, UFC 251. This one was uh, very interesting. Very different from the second one. Um, just got in charge by far took way less damage in this fight than she did in the first fight. First fight, as we talked about, you know, she was rushing a lot. Kind of, to be honest, leading. with her, She's kind of doing like a face block where she blocks the punch with her face. Which is no bueno in my book. And uh, Rose Namayuna's, um the first fight, you know, the reason why, in my opinion, she was able to... Um, land a lot of good shots on Jessica on the first one is because Andrade is moving forward, so she keeps giving her a sample of how her defense is going to look. Meaning that her defense is basically her just putting her hands up and hoping that uh, Rose uh, Rose's punches won't hit her directly on the the chin. And you can see the first fight that Jessica's eye was you know, all swollen and stuff like that. This fight, um, you know, she had a very different approach. She said it herself in an interview that You know, they go, what's your strategy against Rose? And she said that when she tries to hit, I'm not going to be there. And to be honest, the first round and even the third and the second and uh, all three rounds, she did a very good job of moving her head. One thing that was very different was that she was moving left and right. Uh, Usually Andrade just goes straight forward most of the time. She doesn't even have like a left and right, uh, what we call lateral movement. And, you know, she was doing a good job because every time you move left and right, you know, in order to punch somebody, you typically you have to have the guy straight in front of you and or a girl. And when the person goes to your left, you have to reset, you have to look to your left. And um that gives the other opponent a second to um hit you. Or um gives them a second to rest or whatever they need to do. So Andrage was uh doing a very good job of that in the beginning. And to be honest, I thought it kinda threw Rose off. You know, she couldn't land as much, you know, her um, Rose was talking about how the first fight, that even though she lost, she landed a lot of damage. So I guess maybe she was expecting it to look like the first fight. Because Andrade, to be honest, she's so deep in her USC career, you would not expect her to change that much. And one thing I said that in the pre-fight is that she needs to add low kicks. And in the beginning of the first round, she did do that a lot. She kind of started forgetting about it in the third round. And one key thing about both ladies is that they were both able to make adjustments. For example, Rose, um, she primarily used a lot for boxing in the first round, kind of like she did in the first fight. And she wasn't having as much success. You know, she was having success. She was hitting her a couple of times with very good shots. But obviously, you want to optimize how well you could do in each round. And, you know, she was um, in the second round. The coach started telling her, you need to throw more knees. So, you know, uh, when she's coming straight towards you, um, throw some kicks. <laughs> Which I thought the kicks for Rose could be very important because you, know, you get somebody like Jessica Andrade, she's moving her head a lot. It's important to kick because it, her body's going to stay, most likely stay in that position. Also, the kick to the head is something I'm kind of surprised Namajunas didn't go to more. Because when Andrade is slipping her punches, right, typically, and this happens to a lot of people, it's very common. You know, she puts her hands a little low. So you fake the punch and then you end up with a kick going to the head. You know, Andrade has to either have really fast refluxes or she's gonna take that uh shin, that shin of Rose is gonna hit the chin of Namajunas. I mean, uh, the the chin of Andrade. And I was kind of surprised it didn't happen. I know that Rose tried a couple of creative things, like she tried to do um she tried she tried to do like the karate kick, kick, the double kick, where you pick up your right leg and then you you use your right leg to give yourself momentum and jump with your left, and then you end up kicking with your left. Uh, Rose tried that. She tried to, to do a flying knee. The most amount of my success, in my opinion, she had was when Andrade started to realize that Rose Yunus was mixing up to her attacks more, using more kicks. Andrade uh, started going for these empty takedowns. Empty meaning that she didn't really set it up well, so it'd be very easy for Rose to see it. And Rose did a good job of framing uh, Andrade's head off, meaning that usually when you need a takedown, you need to be cl- your head needs to be. Very close to the person's body, so you don't get punched in the face, but you could frame, meaning you take your forearm, put it under their chin, and then just push their head off. And Rose is doing an excellent job of that, and, and and hitting her with a knee to the head, which is something she talked about uh, improving. You know, Rose said that she worked at Minnesota Martial Arts Academy with uh, Guru Greg Nelson, who I've always admired. How uh, you know his as an instructor, uh, as somebody who teaches martial arts. Uh, I think Guru Greg's very good, and uh, also he's um, very knowledgeable. And they've practiced together. So it's not like Rose is totally putting herself in a bad position. Uh, You know, she, I, I understand a lot of people, when they come off of losses, they always say, oh, you got to work on something new, meaning like you find a new coach. And I understand that it's important, especially in the sport where there's so many aspects to keep improving. But sometimes I think when you fight a high-level fight – um, you got to be careful not not uh, doing something too new. You don't want to change too much of what makes you good. You just want to add on to it, I think. And Guru, Greg, you know, him and Rose worked together before. I always thought that, you know, uh, the way Greg Nelson teaches, the things he teaches, it really compliments Rose. And you kind of saw that. One adjustment that I thought uh, gave Andrade the third round, you know, close, but uh, I thought it gave her the third round. Was she noticed, Rose started to notice that she can't, it's hard for her to move left and right because Andraj is throwing hooks. So if you move left and right, there's still a chance of you getting hit by Andrade. And Rose was putting her hands up, which I thought was very smart, putting both hands up to cover. And one thing I thought was really um, nasty by Andrade is that instead of, uh, you know, she would move forward, throw a couple of hooks, and then she would go right down the middle with an uppercut. And I go, this is a great idea because. You see this a lot in, um, like, high-level boxing. They try to do this, but it's more common in MMA because of the size of the glove. You'll see fighters try to cover up. Like, I talked about that, oh, crap cover where you put your two hands together. And then you, um, you know, you block the straight punches. But in MMA, where you get these small gloves, you can still get a punch under. You you could break the guard, meaning that the two arms that's protecting, you could still get, you could kind of fit your fist through there and, Androj was doing an excellent job of doing that. I don't know if Rose's eye ended that way because of that. I know she hurt her nose. And sometimes if your nose is bloody and there's a lot of blood coming through and you blow your nose, your eyes could get swollen. So maybe it has something to do with that. And Androj had some really good moments with the grappling. She was able to take down Rose. I know that Rose took her down in the second round. She ended up getting on top, I believe. But, uh, you know, really good adjustments by Androj. So, you know, I'm excited to see her um, come back and fight. Um, somebody, you know, she's always a great fighter. I definitely believe if you're uh, somebody who's not into MMA, definitely pay attention to Jessica Andrade. And the same thing for Rose Namajunas. It's just that Andrade is what I would consider um, a better fighter. Like she puts herself out there all the time, every fight, and every time she's fighting, she's always looking for the kill. So I think a lot of people, you know, hardcore, casuals, should always watch her. Rose Namajunas has always done great stuff for MMA striking i attribute that a lot to her coach her two coaches her fiance pat barry who was a ufc heavyweight fighter and her coach trevor whitman who does corner uh justin gagey commonly and also whitman he's known for training george st pierre former uh, welterweight champion who some people consider the greatest of all time donald cerrone and her and trevor whitman have always been a great pair and you can see that with rose you know she never puts herself in too much danger she does everything you kind of want. Um, she listens to people well. And um, I'll be looking forward to seeing her fight again. For both girls, I think Andrade, she should try to fight perhaps Tatiana Suarez. I know Tatiana is... I, I would love to see Tatiana Suarez if you don't know. She's a gold medalist in the Olympics. Very good wrestler. Uh, if you The easiest way to put it is that she kind of like... A lot of people compare her to Habib Nurmagomedov the UFC lightweight champion. And at that, she's very good at just getting on top and just beating the crap out of these girls. And she's probably the best wrestler in the division. And it'll be interesting to see her go against Andrade. She um, has skills on the ground. She's, um, she's nasty on the feet with her um, power. And it'll be interesting to see. And also Suarez, I said, she matches up well against most of the top five opponents. But I think do think she needs one more win. Rose Namajunas, it's interesting to see where she goes. You know, this was a tough fight. I think uh, she showed a lot of mental fortitude, which was my biggest question. I don't like to, you know, um, I think uh, the things she said in the past about mental health and uh, people caring for each other is very important. And a lot of fighters always, and I and I don't like this about other fellow fighters, but some fighters kind of question her, um, her mental game. Because, you know, sometimes she falls, um, her love of the sport kind of falls in and out. But you know she's always shows up. She typically shows up, and I understand that her past performances, like when she lost on the Ultimate Fighter finale, where she kept getting taken down, and some people arguing like, oh, she was kind of getting mentally fatigued. You know, she was getting frustrated. That's why she lost. And I said, but you know she's grown up. That was a long time ago. In this fight, I think she's done everything she needs to. She revenged a loss. She technically showed that she could make adjustments, which I think is a very important part about being a champion. You know, you could come out with the greatest game plan. And I think we're going to talk about that soon. You could come out with the greatest game plan in the world. But if that opponent doesn't end up being like how you wanted them to be, they just change one thing. You got to make adjustments. And I think Rose did that. She faced some adversity. She showed that she could come back. She showed that she could be calm. And I think a fight with her and the champion, Wei Li Jing, would be amazing. Very similar opponent. Zhang likes to be explosive on the feet in terms of her footwork. So does Rose. Rose is probably the longer striker. She fights longer. She is probably the longer person. Zhang is not going to have that. Um, you know, Zhang, every fight she goes into, she likes to have that well-rounded game plan where she'll strike. And then she feels like she can get a takedown, she'll take it. I don't think she's going to have that against Rose because Rose is very well-rounded herself. And it's just going to be a matter of who's the better fighter. And I'm very much, I hope that's the next fight um, they book for uh, Rose Nam Yunus. <clears throat> so the next fight we have is um Pedro versus Jose or Jose Aldo for the UFC Bantamweight title. Um this fight was interesting because you know I said that I thought Jan was going to win by a fourth round knockout and he won in the fifth round 3 minutes and 24 seconds into the round. Jose Aldo I said that uh, t- I remember telling you guys he probably has the best chance of an underdog to to beat the favorite i understand that he lost but you know to be honest i'm kind of proud of myself because you know i thought he did pretty well he did everything i hoped he would do he did the like he used the light kicks he used the body shots and um you know he looked very good i thought he was actually winning the first round until he um uh got hit in the rib also i thought he was winning the second and the third but then after the third i thought he was massively getting tired one thing about Jose Aldo to note, and I believe I talked about in the pre-fight analysis, is that, you know, he used to kind of just brutalize guys in the first um, 15 minutes, first round. He usually takes off because he kind of just wants to few out. Then the ten, uh, the second round and third round, he ends up just hitting you with hard body shots, hard punches. He, uh, if he back then, if he, when he did, he would throw hard leg kicks, and then everybody would think, oh shit, I don't wanna, I don't wanna make this guy angry. You know, he's kind of. Uh, You know, they almost had like this feeling like you're waking up a beast if you keep attacking him. And guys, for that reason, they wouldn't attack him in the fourth and fifth round. And that's why you get like the Ricardo Lamas and the Frankie Edgers, who had a lot of success against Aldo in the latter part of the fight. And um, Jan, I thought that he stuck to his guns. You know, I thought the first 15 minutes were kind of dicey for him. I thought he was getting hurt to the body. Um, you know, he was taking a lot of shots to the head. I thought Aldo was landing the better shots. The leg kicks especially, I thought that Jan, you could see that they're taking a toll on him. And I thought Jan made a beautiful adjustment in the fourth round. He ended up saying, you know, I just got to move forward because every time I move forward, Aldo's not going to have the space to do any kicks. Aldo went to a lot of knees, but uh, some of those were um, didn't work as well. Some of them, Jan countered very well. One thing that I said Jan did excellent and people should know is, like, you know, you see a lot of MMA fighters, right? They cover their head and their body's open. And people complain, like, boxing guys, <clears throat> excuse me, they complain, how come they don't go to the body? And Jose is one of the best at throwing that left hook to the body where he'll punch your liver. And then he won't just punch it. Like, he'll punch and then he'll touch your skin and he'll let it go. He'll dig your whole, he'll dig his f- knuckles right into your liver, and it really hurts, and Jan was getting tagged a lot, and he was getting hurt through that, in my opinion, and I think Jan just has a good poker face and a good a good chin, meaning uh he could take a lot of shots to the head, and, uh, one second, sorry, and, um, Jan made a beautiful adjustment, he switched to a lefty stance, meaning that his right foot was forward. And it changed the shot, meaning that Aldo, when he went to that left hook to the body, it wasn't hitting his liver anymore. One, it still hurts. It still sucks to get punched by Jose Aldo. But he would take the punch, and then Aldo's head would be on all, uh, Jan's right side. And then all Jan had to do was throw that right hook. And maybe it wasn't powerful. Maybe it was. But I go, it's going to make Jose Aldo stop throwing that strike. And then eventually, <clears throat> when Jan got Aldo pushing back far enough, and you could see that footwork-wise, Aldo was getting very tired. His mouth was breathing hard. Um, you know, he was his punches were a lot slower. Jan could go to the switch stance combination he loves, where he'll punch with his right hand, and then he'll step with his right foot forward, and he'll punch with the left. And the benefit of that, opposed to staying in your stance, like I told, like I talked about in the first... Uh, then the pre-fight analysis Is that Jan, it's almost like he's running forward There's always a danger of you getting taken down But if you're confident enough That you're not going to get taken down You just do it And similar to Jorge Masvidal <clears throat> He does the same thing uh, Jan, it's almost like he's running So it's hard He can close the distance a lot faster And there's less chance of Aldo countering him And Jan has hurt a lot of guys with this uh, You know, He's hurt Uriah Faber with this He's hurt John Dodson with this in the past. And really, it was a great strike. Um, <clears throat> beautiful uh, fight from Jan. You know, he went through some adversity. He, I thought Jose Aldo did everything he could. And, you know, he ended up losing. Jan was able to weather the storm very well. And it'll be interesting to see where they go. Peter Jan's the champion. I understand that it means he's the best. But I don't think that really means it. Because, you know, he's got... Um, he fought Uriah Faber, who I know is a legend. But still... He's kind of um washed up to be honest, uh yeah, I mean Uriah Faber's still good, but you know he's coming off a long layoff, he hadn't fought anybody in a high level for a while, and then he you put him against this beast and Jan, of course Jan's gonna win Jose Aldo a little bit of a tougher matchup for Jan than Uriah Faber and all the de great stuff, but I said, you gotta look at it, Jose Aldo hasn't won in a very long time. he's coming off of two losses. Um, everything I said that I want him to do, he doesn't do it that often in a fight, so he's not very consistent. He's also um, not a real... I mean, he's very big for Bantamweight. He cuts a ton of weight, and we always knew that that was perhaps going to play a factor when it came to his durability, his chin, meaning that can he handle a punch, or also his stamina. And it showed. Um, For both guys, I'd like to see Jose Aldo do a fight with Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz, former Bantamweight champion, you know, a lot of people say Dominic's the best and he's one of the, had the smartest fight IQ, meaning that, you know, he could really break down the opponent and avoid the strengths of the opponent with strategy. But I honestly, I think Dominic, um, I think that's a little overrated in my opinion. I think he's very smart, but his past couple of fights, like especially the Henry Cejudo fight, if you could get your hands and watch that, um, his fight IQ wasn't the best. He's mainly known for his footwork. His feet, I think, are shot. Like He can't explode as much as he usually does because of all the knee injuries. He's had plantar fasciitis through the years. So I think he's a lesser version of himself. Of course, he could come back and win if anybody could do his dominant cruise. But I think that he needs to step down against an opponent who's not so high level, not as uh, touted. And I think Jose Aldo is perfect. When both of them were UFC champions, everybody talked about having a super fight between the two of them. Because they're only 10 pounds difference. Jose Aldo is now fighting in the same weight class as Domino Cruz. I think it's a great fight. I think both of them could gain a lot by beating each other. I think this is perhaps almost like a super fight. You know, former champion of another division versus former champion of of another division. So... I think it's a great fight for both guys. They could gain a lot both of them. If Jose Aldo beats Domino Cruz, he gets to beat the last guy and who fought for the title besides him and Peter Yan, which I think is great, which could if he wants to go for another title run, he could um that's a very good argument. Peter Yan, I think he's got to fight Mike one of the best Aljamain Sterling. Uh one thing I said about Aldo opposed to some other opponents is that yeah, those doesn't, you know, I said that he has a great grappling, very good uh, ground game, but he doesn't use it often. He tried to use it. It didn't work that well. And, um, and, uh, Aljamain Sterling, he's very good at, um, taking people to the ground, mixing it up, going to the body, doing different types of kicks, being unorthodox. And I think, to be honest, to beat a guy like Jan, who has a great chin, you got to put him on the mat because... You, it doesn't matter how good of a chin you have, meaning your durability or how much you can take a punch. If you eat a, like a thousand punches on the ground, there's nothing that's saving your face from getting hit and then going to the canvas over and over again. And also, Funkmaster's got a really good uh, Funkmaster, I meaning Andre Sterling, has a really good grappling game. Very flexible on the ground. Very long for the division. Very unorthodox with everything he does. Great cardio, very well rounded, very good experience. And I think, uh, the, you know, Jan and him have gone back before. Jan says that he respects him a lot and wants to fight him. Algerine says he respects him and wants to fight him. I think that'd be a great fight. Maybe if they could open back up, uh, if people could come back watch sporting events, maybe a fight at MSG since Algermain's from New York and he hasn't yet to fight in the garden. I would love to see that. Um, that would be amazing. And, uh, and one more thing to talk about this fight is the stoppage. I understand that a lot of people are saying Jose Aldo should have been saved. But I go, you know, Peter Jan said that he thought that Aldo was doing everything he could to stay out of being stopped. And I agree because, you know, Jose Aldo, you got to think, this guy did a ton to get to this fight, right? He's coming from Brazil, doing the COVID-19 testing. He had to cut down a bantamweight, which is already not such a great time for him. I'm sure it's not a party uh, losing all that weight. And then you know he makes it five rounds and then he did pretty well, had a good performance, and then you know, let's say the referee decides to step in early, you know I go, there's gonna be a lot more backlash for that, and to be honest, Joseph alto I'll be um if he could get another title shot, I wouldn't be surprised, but you know this may be his last one, possibly you know, I thought a lot of people were talking about how he didn't deserve this one, so I would be interested to see um. Like you know I was saying, like, this may be his last one. You wanna put all into it. I understand he's taking a lot of damage. But for somebody like him, you wanna give him every chance. And he was moving. I know it wasn't he wasn't moving to great positions that were saving him, but you know, he was moving. And I understand from the referee's uh point of view. And uh I'm excited because this division finally gets to keep moving again. Jan was talking about fighting contenders. He already said, like I said before, he wants to fight Algernon Stern, fight all these guys. I know guys like Cody Garbrand wants to fight him. I think Garbrand should totally just try to fight somebody else right now. Um he he just won his first fight against a guy who is considered out of his prime, who people have beat him before. He was a good matchup against him. He should really try to fight someone like Marlon Moraes. And Garbrand, you know, I said like I understand if you talk to anybody else, any other MMA fan, they always say, "Oh, he's crazy, he knocks guys out, you know, you know, so cool, he finishes guys." I go, so does Jan. and Jan's more technical, in my opinion. He's more to offer. He doesn't fight as stupid as Garbrand, and um, and I understand Garbrand looked like a genius his last fight, but he's got to start putting on consistent wins because. Yeah, as much as I like to talk about how Peter Young hasn't, before this fight, hadn't fought anybody, I go, Cody Garbrand, not until like 2017 did he really start fighting actual very good opponents. And I said that would be a fight. I know some people are going to suggest Cody versus him. I don't think Garbrand should get the shot. I understand that TJ Dillashaw popped for, uh, you know, un- for banned substances, but that fight with Cody, he didn't pop for those. You know, they checked his. He checked, they checked his, um, samples that he gave and he didn't have uh, the legal substances inside his system. So I go, Garberin lost those first and square. And then plus he lost to Pedro Munoz, who he was a big favorite against. So I say he's just got to, right now, I think Cody's just got to, um, keep being consistent, fight good guys. Go- I think the key word is fight good opponents. That's something I think he's been missing. And then, you know, if he does that, he will see yawn very quickly, but, um, also, I said Jan would open up as a huge favor against him. You want to give Cody, you want to give everybody in this division the best chance they can to fight for the title. And I think Aljamain Sterling is that answer. He has fought so many high-level guys, beaten them. And his last fight, he beat the number three guy in the world in less than a minute. How can you not put him against the title shot? Even Jan believes that. And uh, it's been proven. So the next one uh, is a lot to unpack. The co main event, Alexander Volkanovsky retains his title against over Max Holloway, winning by via split decision 48 47, 47 48, 48 47, via split decision, meaning that two judges believe Volkanovsky won and one judge believed Max Holloway won. <sighs> so there's a lot to unpack on this fight. I want to address first. What people believe is controversy that Max Holloway beated Volkanovski. So to make a rundown, if you didn't watch the fight, um, Max Holloway was basically winning the first round. He knocks down Alexander. He hurt first. He staggers him a little bit with a right hand against the cage, and then he um, he hurt him with a head, right head kick, which uh, Volkanovski had to sit down a little bit. <clears throat> and then the second round. Volkanovski looked like he was having a better round using his um, range and kicks, doing a little bit better with the leg kicks. And then Max hits him with a, um, hits him with a right... Uh, as Volkanovski's coming forward, he hits him with a right uppercut. Volkanovski has to take another seat down. Uh, he kind of had to take a knee. He was rocked, hurt a little bit. His, you know, his, his brain was a little bit rattled. He was able to survive. Then the third round is really where people talk about where it's who won. And I... I I understand if you think Max won. But I really truly believe uh, Volkanovski won. Because I believe Max. I was struck him by two strikes. But I go two strikes. When a judge is watching a live. It doesn't matter as much. If you watch that fight. Volkanovski landing a lot of inside leg kicks. While Max is punching. Causing Max's legs to the knee to buckle. Or for him to take a knee. Like he tripped. Then Volkanovski landing great hooks. Which Max is also sitting. Taking a little bit of a seat. Meaning that. His legs kind of... I don't know if he tripped. I think he tripped. But, you know, to the judges, it makes it look like he got rocked a little bit. I, I understand Volkanovski. He, he was smart. He didn't think Max was rocked and then ends up running into something. The fourth and fifth round, I definitely thought Volkanovski. Very, I thought, to be honest, those rounds were, the, were very clear for him. He um, The fourth round, he got a takedown uh, in the clinch. He uses the body lock, meaning that he puts his two hands together, uh, puts a lot of weight on Max's left leg, and then he tripped Max, meaning that he puts his left uh, Volkanovski put his left leg behind Max's right leg, and then he pulls Max's right leg out with his left leg, and then basically that weight on Max's leg makes him fall onto the cage. Max was able to get up quickly, but I go, you know, a very tight fight where you get a takedown. Uh, it matters a lot. And then plus Volkanovski, I thought, was doing better in the striking. And then the fifth round, Volkanovski, I thought that was his best round. He used a lot of his jab, his lead straight left punch. And he was landing more inside leg kicks using combinations a little bit better. And he got um, two takedowns in that round. I understand the third one wasn't really a takedown. Max Holloway may have thought this round's getting tight, which I thought it was. And then Volkanovski was trying to go for a takedown. And sometimes when somebody's going for a leg a sweep like that like Volkanovski was uh you could counter that you know they're a little bit off balance so Max did the same thing but Volkanovski ended up um feeding his hips meaning pushing his hips a certain direction and then getting on top landing ground and pound so I go the end of the round basically Volkanovski made it look like you know I'm really uh using the ground strikes to win so a lot of people believe Max Holloway won and I understand that. You know, he definitely won the first two rounds. I thought Volkanovski was doing a lot better the second round, and then he ended up getting knocked down, which gives Max the round. And I, there's 10-9 round, and then there's 10-8 rounds. 10-9 meaning you basically outstruck the guy, you know, you took him down maybe. Maybe you got a good positions on him, but you didn't really, uh, like, hurt him or anything. 10-8 means that basically you hurt the guy, and it's close to being stopped. Meaning the ref is taking a good look at it. And I understand that Max, he hurt uh, Volkanovski twice. But I go, those both times were never the ref was ever thinking about stopping fight. Volkanovski, as soon as he got knocked down, boom, he came back up, started punching. Like, uh, he, he was really trying to get him back. And I go, that's not a guy who's about to get finished. And that's what I thought. I definitely thought you give Max the first two rounds. But then people argue, oh, like, you know, people go, um, they argue about it, right? They go, oh, but Max, you landed in the knockdowns, right? I go, yeah, but he landed in the rounds that he won. You've, MMA is based off round by round, meaning that, all right, Max won the first round. Okay, so that doesn't, nothing that happened in the first round could affect the second round. It's like a total, it's like, think about it like this. You have five mini fights, five rounds. Each round is like a new fight every time. That's how you score it. And I thought Volkanovski did enough to make uh, the last three his. And I even thought the second round was competitive until he got knocked down. It wasn't like he was getting totally dominated that one. So I want to mostly talk about the adjustments Max Holloway made. How come he had way more success in this fight than the first one? So the first thing I want to talk about is kicks. He had a lot of um, kicks in this one. And one thing that's great about starting with kicks or even kicking in general against the kicker in Volkanovski... Is that when you kick one? Um, when Max, he was just primarily using punches the first fight. So I go, that's a whole total range. Volkanovski does not have to worry about. You know, he he when he's kicking, all he has to worry about is Max going to come back with punches. Now when he's kicking, Max could throw punches, and he definitely made Volkanovski worried when he um, hit him with that, dinged him with that head kick at the the first end of the first round. And um, you know. That was something that was great on Max's part. Another thing that I thought was really key was his stance. He stood way taller than the first fight. The first fight, he was almost like in a crouching position, just in case Volkanasi decides to take him down. Also, Max, one thing I said that was a disadvantage in the first fight was that if you stand so short, you're not as rangy anymore. Range is kind of created off of length and height. And I said, okay, he has the length, right? He's fighting long, but he doesn't have the height anymore. Especially when you've got a guy like Volkanovski who held a 3-inch reach, reach, uh, reach advantage over Max. And if Max goes shorter, it kind of evens out their reach. So I said, but now Max is fighting uh, long and he's tall. So it's harder for Volkanovski to hit him because uh, even if Volkanovski has a longer reach, he has to punch up. Which kind of shortens your reach a little bit. And that was something I think Max did great. And, you know, also when you're standing taller, there's not as much weight on your legs. So that's why I said the leg kicks weren't working as much as the first one. And that's something that bothered me about the first fight. Everybody kept saying how, oh, I thought Max won. I cannot understand. I've watched that fight multiple times. I cannot understand a single reason why you would think Max won the first fight. Bokonovsky definitely won the first fight. He definitely won three rounds. You can even say he won the last round. And then Max, like, bar- I barely gave him the fourth. And I said, you can still give that round to Volkanovski. He almost like had a shutout. I understand it was competitive in the rounds, but Volkanovski definitely won. And that's one of the things I said. Max kind of tricked people. And even Volkanovski said you know, he was pushed this fight. because he said that Max was saying things like, oh, I uh, I uh don't understand how he won. One thing that I said that Max uh, kind of like, I love Max. I've. I've been watching him ever since, like, he wasn't even a top fighter in the UFC. Like, I watched him in his early days. But he was saying stuff like that, Um, oh, uh, I was trying to let them know that the leg kicks didn't matter. Like, when he got kicked in the first fight, Max would point at his leg and go, doesn't hurt, to let people know that it doesn't hurt. And I go, who's ever going to believe that? No one's ever going to go, oh, yeah, it hurt. And he says it's just totally silly on his part. And then he's going on the Zoom calls. Then he's saying... And then one thing that bothered me so much is that Joe Rogan was saying, oh, you know, Max is turning it up. And I go, these are all punches. When Max would throw like a three-punch combination in the first fight, and he would miss... I go, he's not turning up anything. He's just missing punches right now. And I said that the that the commentators were fabricating a storyline that Max, the first fight was close. And then all of a sudden, everybody like, oh, the first fight's close. And then Max says that the commentators were creating a story for Volkanovsky. And I said, that's total BS. This fight, I said, Max did way better. Um, he made it very tight, very close fight. A lot of good adjustments, like I said, with the kicks, um, the stance. One thing that he did really well was that... Um, everybody seemed like that night was doing a Muay Thai stance where they would have a lot of weight on their back leg and make the lead leg light just in case they get kicked. Like Jose Aldo did it in his fight uh, to block the leg kicks and the body kicks of Peter Petrion. And Petrion tried to do the same thing against Aldo when he kept getting kicked. So Max, what he did was he would move forward. But every time he moved forward, he would lift his left leg really high. So then Volkanovski decides to punch or kick. He'll either push... Volkanovski away with his left leg. Or even better. Is that he would. His left leg would be up in the air. And Volkanovski could kick it. But he's not going to take the full brunt, blunt force. Of Volkanovski's kick. And I said. And then Volkanovski has to be a little bit more creative with his striking. And um. Yeah, that was really smart on Max's part. But I think in the end of the day, Volkanovski landed. I would even go on to say that in the fourth and fifth round, he landed the better strikes. Like, if you watch the fight, Max kept sitting down a couple of times. Like, like meaning like his butt was going towards the ground when he got hit. There's even parts where, like I said, like people don't count it. But like, Volkanovski was hitting him with a beautiful, like one big adjustment I thought he made was his jab. Despite being a very short man. For this weight class against Max Holloway. Volkanovski has an excellent jab. Very long. Has many ways to set it up. You know, and that's a very important thing. Because having a great jab could really... You could do anything. You could pair your jab off of a cross. Pair it off a combination. Kicks. Takedowns. And I said that if you watch the fight. He started having lots of with his jab. Because he started blinding Holloway. You know, his right eye. Started, he started blinking a lot, Max. And Volkanovski was able to pair it off with his left inside, his left leg kick a lot, because he made the jab hand. Uh, when he threw the inside kick, he would put up the hand to make Holloway think that he's punching, and then, boom, the kick will come. And that was really smart stuff by him. And then, and then even Max like. I said that, in my opinion, I said that if he thought that he was he deserved the win, or he thought and I think he knew he thought it was close because he went for that takedown, then he should have tried a bit more. Gra- like Volkanovski, when he was losing, he had to think, how can I get inside Max Holloway's range to land safely? And I thought he did that brilliantly. And I don't think, to be honest, if Max won, I wouldn't have a problem with him. But I did think that um, Volkanovski won. That's just my opinion. I. I I could see the argument for both sides. I thought Max did fought beautifully in the beginning of the fight. But I just thought also, like, uh, one problem I have with MMA, but I hope it goes away. But I said, though, that if you're a champion, you play to this, it's not your fault, is that usually when you get a very close fight and you're a champion, the challenger has to take away the belt from the champion. You can't just have it be, like, a close fight and sort of, like, um... Like, you cannot be beating the champion coming off a close fight. That's the idea. And I said, and this was a close fight. And especially Volkanovski, his best round was the last round. So you can't, you can't end, like, you can't be getting, like beating the crap out of the guy. The guy survives. And he's like, oh, I did enough. Like, that's never how MMA title fights end. And that's a big part of it. And I said that Volkanovski, when he fought Max, he was able to finish well. The first time, and I go, he did the second time, which I I hope that's a rule they take away soon. I know it's not really a rule. It's just something people do, the judges do, and I hope they take it away. But, you know, if you look at that and then you look at the round, you got to look at round by round. You cannot be looking at the overall fight. Then I think Volkanovsky, you know, he played the game right. And, uh, you know, for Volkanovsky, there's a lot of open, a lot of opponents he could fight as the new champion. You know that he um, had a run-in with a Korean zombie. My father was almost in the middle of that. I love that story. Like we went to go watch Israel Adesanya versus Joel Romero in Las Vegas, and Volkanovsky was there to be there for his teammate Israel Adesanya. You know they both trained at the same uh, gym, and my father every time he kept walking around at the same hotel Volkanovsky was in. Volkanovsky was always in front of him in line, and stuff it was hilarious. And then my dad decided to go, like, check something out. And then as soon as he checked it out, the news report said that Korean zombies saw Volkanovsky and they had, not, they didn't get physical, but like, he was saying like, oh, I want to knock you out and all this stuff. And Volkanovsky, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't like, well, he wasn't bothered by it. He said, you know, he's, I'm a champion. I'm the champion. He, he's got to do that. And I totally understand that. That's what he's got to do. I did the same thing when I was, when I was uh, looking to fight for the title, so no hard feelings at all. And then I and then I was making fun of how maybe my father would have, if Volkanovsky and the great Volkanovsky and Korean Zombie were to fight, my dad would have broken up properly, you know, put them side by side, and then they could put my father in the promo if they fight. So, anyways, uh, Volkanovsky, Korean Zombie is probably the number one guy for him, just because of the drama between the not the drama, you know, there's a little bit of a backstory. Um, you know, there's also Brian Ortega. I know he hasn't fought. You know, he was Max Holloway, one of Max Holloway's title defenses. His only loss is to Max Holloway. However, Brian Ortega hasn't fought ever since that fight. It's been two years, two freaking years since he fought in that fight. And there's rumors that him and Korean Zombie are going to fight. So perhaps Volkanovski could fight the winner between them. You know, both guys have given a lot of challenges to him. Volkanovski gives a lot of challenges to both of them. So there's tons of people. There's also I'm sure people are gonna mention Zabit, Marka, Michelle, uh, Sherry Poff. Like, sorry if I can't say his name. It's very hard to say, but um, he's very good, very good long fighter, kind of like Max Holloway. Probably a little bit more sting in his strikes slightly. Very good grappler, but he gets very tired after the third, after the second round. So it'll be interesting to see how they match up. You kind of get the well-roundedness, the cardio, the pace of Volkanovski. Versus the uh, finesse of Sabit Um, For Max Holloway, it's interesting. Because now he's lost to the reigning champion twice. You know, for him, if I was uh, his um, manager, I would tell him, wait it out a little bit. See how Alexander Volkanovsky's title reign goes. If he defends his first title, uh, defend, if he his second title defends Volkanovsky's uh, next fight up. If he ends up defending the title, then... Maybe, perhaps, Max Holloway moves up a weight class. He's very, very big for um, featherweight. He's 5'11". People constantly always say, Oh, but he looks so small against Dustin Poirier. But the thing is is that they look like the same size before and uh, during the fight. If you look at Max, he says it himself. He weighs 190 pounds outside the octagon. He is a thick, thick boy. And that's a lot of weight to cut. And... Your body, it's hard to reject. Like, when he's trying to cut weight, he's basically getting his body to reject any water. And I go, that's not very healthy. In my opinion, that showed in this fight a little bit. When you could kind of see when Volkanovski were to hit him, Max's eyes would kind of get glassy and roll around and stuff like that. It's not always a great sign. He's only 20 years old, so he's only going to get bigger. Like, Volkanovski, I said, he probably, outside of fighting, he probably weighs, like, 160 at the most. He's not the biggest guy. And when well, my father almost broke up that fight between him and Korean Zombie, he didn't look that big either uh, compared to how he fights. When he looks, the shape he's in, in the octagon. Max is a big, big boy. I think he could gain some size if he wants to. He doesn't have to. And I think there's some incredible matchups for him. You know, there's the rematch between him and Conor McGregor. You know, uh, I, McGregor always loves talking about how he beat him. I personally think Max is a very different type of fighter. Back then, back then, you know, Max is twenty eight. They fought when he was twenty one. Also, there's a Tony Ferguson would be an amazing fight. A fight with Kevin Lee would be amazing. Could Paul Felder. Um, back, also, the best thing is that for a guy like Max Holloway, you know, I don't think he's going to be this way because I think he's a stud and he's a guy who will fight anyone, anytime, any place. But um, You know, you kind of get to that aspect where, like, you just want to fight the big names or the fight that you could guarantee you fight for the title. And one thing about him is that I don't think he's going to be like that. But perhaps he is. If he fights a lightweight, every fight's a big fight. It's not going to be like featherweight where he goes back to fighting contenders. And plus, I think size-wise, he fits that division way better than 145. And I think these weight cuts, they're getting kind of scary. Like, every weight cut he does, he looks more and more drained. Stuff like that, and you know, he's had medical problems in the past. I would love to see Max fight at lightweight, and I would love to see him win the title at lightweight. I think he matches up great with a lot of those guys, especially Habib and Tony and uh, Kevin Lee, people like that. I think it'll be amazing, and he would be a great addition to the uh, to the, to the lightweight division. And he's a very active fighter, which I think could play a big part in that division as well. I think that's why I said it's. Um, UFC loves Max, right? He takes on fights no matter what. And I would love to see him go up a division. So, the last fight we got. The bo- the most talked about one. The main event. Kamaru Usman versus Jorge gengber Um, You know, this fight, I, I picked Usman to win. It would be great to see Jorge get the win. Uh, I hope... One day, they'll fight again, and Jorge gets a full camp. That is really what, uh, for me, that's why I learned about this fight. You know, nothing, I, I feel like I didn't learn that much, anything new about this fight. I kind of knew that Kamaru Usman, if he really commits to the wrestling, he'll get it. Jorge though I thought that, um, I, I thought he would have success on the feet. He had more success than I thought he would. You know, I thought the first round looked beautiful for him. He was just tagging Usman left and right. Even when Usman was making smart decisions, coming in with his jab, kind of coming uh, protected, Mazudo was just finding shots um, pretty regularly. I thought Mazudo had really good elbows off the break in the clinch. um, Really good knees to the body. I thought he did what he had to. He understood that uh, Usman really does a good job of defending one strike. Not like three or four, and he did that very well, Masvidal. He used combinations. Also, I thought that Masvidal's kicks played a big part. Um, you know, Usman. One thing I laugh is in the second round, Masvidal kept hammering his calf over and over again, which I thought was going to play a big part, and it kind of did. And Ma- Usman, you see him smile, and I go, whenever somebody smiles like that, that means it hurts. You know, and um, uh, one thing I understand. In- uh, this is very clear. Ma- I thought Major definitely won the first round. I don't know how anybody thought Kamar Usman won the first round. Usman, I even thought, looked a little tired. He looked a little lethargic most of the fight, most of the time just trying to take him down. And to be honest, I I wouldn't be uh, – I kind of thought the ref was going to step in because I understand those kicks to the legs, you know, that's him doing work. But, you know, some referees, they see that type of stuff and they'll just stop the fight. They'll, they'll pause the fight and separate them. And I thought that was going to happen. Also, some points I kind of thought, like, he was just, like, the second round, for example, when he was just pressing his head against him. I didn't think he was working for strikes. I didn't think he was working for takedowns. And, you know, that's why I said, like, I would like to see the judges, like, for example, when Usman's going for these takedowns. And Jorge had, like, a very good percentage of takedowns defended. I think it was, like, 70% of takedowns have been defended throughout the fight, which is the highest against Kamar Usman. Uh, a fight besides the, his last fight. But his last fight, Kamar Usman went for zero takedowns. So I don't count that. But that's the highest round uh, takedown defense uh, against a Kamar Usman opponent. And they say that's really good because, you know, like Usman, he took down Tyron Woodley, who everybody said well, he wasn't going to be able to take down, And Tyron has a better wrestling pedigree than Mosby, He took down Javier Los who is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, very good grappler in his own right who a lot of people think is better grappler than Masvidal. And then look at uh, Masvidal. He's able to defend more takedowns. He was able to get up every time. And I would love to see him in a full camp because, you know, getting up, stopping the takedown, a lot of that has to do with fitness level. And he said to himself uh, before and after the fight, he goes, I don't really think I have enough to go five rounds. And he kind of, like, tried to fight that way. Like, the first round, I thought he was really trying to get him out of there. Then the second round... I thought he's trying to rest against the cage, and then he'll try to explode in, like, every two minutes. And he did do that, and I thought he did very well. Third and fourth and fifth, I thought Usman was just holding against the cage and using some good clinch strikes. He did what he had to do to get the win. I would be interested to see in the future because he's going for these takedowns, right? And they're being defended. And clearly the judges score that. And I think they should be scored, right? You're being the aggressor. But I don't think they should be scored so much. Like, I think of it as the same way as, like, you punch. And you keep making the person miss the punch. I think of it the same way. You defended it. So, it, it, you're going to reward somebody for a failure kind of thing. I do think that the wrestling, you know, I go to do that against a guy like Masvidal is very big. I understand why Masvidal on the lead-up to the fight, he was saying, like, oh, Kumar, dude. oh he just likes to smell crotches, right? I understand because Usman, I I think very highly of him. And I kind of thought, oh, Mazula has the wrong way. He's he's thinking of Usman the wrong way. He's not that type of fighter. But to be honest, I could see why he said that. Because when he got him to the ground, there wasn't a lot of damage. When they were up against the cage, there wasn't a lot of damage either. Even when positionally, I thought Kamaru Usman wasn't doing that great. Like, every time they would end up in the full guard and then Jorge would just... Try to get up or he would try to stifle his ground, uh, keep him close with that grounded pound. Like I explained before, one bit of important thing for Masvidal was that he controlled like when, uh, for example, when you saw Masvidal throw those devastating knees to the body, he would cup he would take his the cup of his hand the palm of his hand and wrap it around the crown of Usman's head and that's a very good leverage it's very hard to pick your neck up it has to be a lot of strength so he would pull him down into his chest so and it's very difficult for a guy like Cam- anybody to really generate a lot of ground and pound and Masvidal was doing a good job at that plus Jorge he didn't have his trainer um his head coach um Mike Brown who I always say is kind of like. If you listen to their corner, he's kind of the guy who brings everything together from for he, um You know, it's very unfortunate to hear that Coach Brown uh, tested positive for COVID. But he's kind of like the guy who brings everything together from the striking, the grappling, the jiu-jitsu, the wrestling. And he didn't have him. He was kind of, Jorge kind of had to use his, what he knew to get out of the grappling positions. He even said it himself because he probably should have fallen a little bit smarter on the ground. But um, that's how he ended up. Uh, he also had, um, you know, he didn't have Coach Brown. He had Bo Nickel, who is a standout wrestler, probably one of the best wrestlers, right? Definitely right now, and maybe one day ever. And Bo was giving him really good advice. Like one thing that I said, like I, I'm, Kamara Usman's past fights, a lot of people deem it as boring, and they a lot of people kind of say, "Oh, it's the same as this one." And to be honest, it wasn't the most entertaining fight. And I understand that's why some people say they can't get into MMA. And I totally understand that because I go, his last fights, he was doing a lot of good ground to pound, a lot of good positions, right? He's trying to out position the guy. This one, I kind of felt like he was just trying. And I definitely felt this way in the third round and the second round. I kind of felt like he was just grappling just to save himself. And it's good, right? It's good. You should be doing that. It's a smart idea. But I go, at some point, it became extremely excessive. Like, in the second, like, in the second round, like, Michael Bisping was very good. He said, "He all he's doing is leading with his head to keep very close to Jorge's chest. And I was saying, that's a guy that's kind of like, he's not really looking to, like, get underhooks or anything. He's just trying to be as close to him as possible. And I go, This no offense, but it kind of sounds like he didn't want to engage a lot on the jiu-jitsu side and the striking side. And I go, there's kind of a little bit of, like, stalling. So... Uh, I'm going to talk about it in my podcast with Anthony uh, because you know he's one of those people, and I totally agree with him. You should figure out. I, I think you should try to figure a way around that. Like if I see a guy on the ground, I want to see a guy who's out positioning somebody, doing ground and pound, getting the submission, getting the knockout on the ground. And I thought Kamar Usman wasn't doing any of that. And to be honest, it was because he kind of underestimated Jorge Masvidal because he was saying, "Oh, I could strike with him when I get him on the ground." He's going to not know where to go. And then Masvidal, I said, he looked very calm even for a guy who was like, tired from round two. So I, I, that's my biggest takeaway. I, I would like to see the rematch between the two of them instead of the rematch with Kobe Covington. Because Masvidal, I said, in that, like, little fraction of striking, even in the fifth round where he was really trying to work his way to get back up, he was still trying to knock him out. And I thought he was having really good success. So, technically, with this fight, you know, uh, striking-wise, Hori Mazidal was doing a really good job of using kicks, which we talked about was going to be a factor. Um, Kamar Usman, I thought he looked a little... I thought, uh, to be honest, his wrestling, in terms of MMA wrestling, looked slightly better than his usual fights. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes he went back to what he usually does. But what I mean is, like, usually he would just push you against the cage and go for takedowns, which he did do in the fourth and fifth round. But he had like this really, really nice, like um, Masvidal tried to come in with this hard right hand and he ducked under it and took him down. And you can even see Jorge was like, oh, crap. I didn't know he could do that. Uh, that takes really good timing. And Kamaru Usman did that very well. Also, Kamaru Usman, you got to give him credit. He had a different corner. This one, he didn't get to train with his usual corner because his original opponent, Gilbert Burns, trains at the same gym. And Kamaru Usman decided to have a different um, head coach in Trevor Whitman. And what I was afraid for him is that he would try to do some different techniques that he usually doesn't do and get in trouble, and Whitman was really good, like um you could tell that Masvidal was reading Kamaru very well, and his code you know like Whitman very made it very simple right he said, keep the freaking right hand your left hand up man, like you're getting hit a lot on that side, and um he gave him good advice, but I thought Kamaru was just kind of shocked on how. Such a little time. Ozvald was tagging him a lot, and um, you know I love that's why I want to see a rematch between the two. Uh, you know Usman got to do it; he had to. Hopefully, his next fight will be more exciting. I understand why he did it, but I also I do believe the amount of talk he said he should have tried, um, you know, try to do more damage on the ground. I'm not even asking him to stand and bang. I'm just saying, you know, he said that he was gonna be so much more dominant on the ground and he didn't look that way um for both guys Kamar Usman I would like them to rebook the fight with Gilbert Burns Burns the thing that the difference between him and Mazvidal is that Burns is very good off on the ground on his back or on top also you got to take in the fact that they're both training partners so maybe Burns knows something that we don't that's um, in Usman clearly we see if he's in trouble he goes tries to spam takedowns which he was doing against Jorge and what I wonder is Gilbert Burns he's a decent striker not as good as Masvidal in my opinion but Burns um, if he hurts him right what does Usman do does he try to take him down that's a terrible idea Burns is uh, very good off his back very experienced in the ground plus they train together so he may have something in his back pocket so I think that's a fight that could really push him were two guys, they're kind of similar. They both go forward a lot. Uh, that's the bad thing for Burns. If he ends up not being able to go forward and realizes Kamar Usman's size and physicality is too much for him, he's going to have a tough time fighting backwards, which is one thing I said Masvidal, uh, in my opinion, did better than any other Usman opponent is that he's much better fighting off the back foot, meaning that he could go backwards, move side to side, and still land strikes. And uh, Burns is going to have to go, you know, figure a way around that. Uh, I know that a lot of people are talking about Leon Edwards fighting Kamar Usman. But the thing is, is like Edwards, he hasn't fought in over a year. His opponents weren't that great um, to begin with. Then the opponents who are top names were coming off of losses, things like that. So, and plus Burns has beaten a lot of the guys. Edwards has fought. Um, some of the guys he's fought, I mean, like Gunnar Nelson. And plus, Burns has beat it, Willie, Woodley. I understand that Ber- Edwards was, like, saying how because of the pandemic that he couldn't travel. But I go, this fight island was this opportunity. They asked him, and he said he couldn't. They said that he had a weight problem. He was too high up in weight. I totally understand. But I go, he shouldn't be complaining that the next title shot's not going to him. He should have known. Uh, you know, there's some part of me that says he should have known that. There's a very big chance he doesn't... um Get the title shot. Plus, I said that a lot of people, I think, most if you had the vote between Kobe Covington, Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal, Leon Edwards, Steven Thompson, Diron Woodley, the top six opponents, I would probably put down that Edwards would most likely come as the biggest underdog just because Usman's beaten him. You know, um, the stereotype, Edwards is a British fighter. The stereotype is that the wrestling isn't as good. And that's how Usman beat him the first time. Now Usman's even better than before. Things like that. So, I said Edwards, he's got to be the guy who really impresses people. And so far, he's just kind of been putting people off a lot lately. So, I said I would like to see Burns versus Usman. Jorge Majdal, he could either fight Leon Edwards because... He had the famous viral moment where he machine-gunned Edwards in the face with the three-piece in the soda. Oh, that was great. When he was like, uh, oh, why don't you come over here? And then ended up just punching him in the face. <laughs> I recommend you watch that video. Because everybody who's like, oh, Horry Maslow, you just know the, the Carter McGregor. Look at that fight. Look at when literally Horry Maslow was in England. He knocks out Darren Till, the English fighter that everybody came to watch. And then he goes backstage. Leon Edwards starts yelling at him, and then bang, he shows what happens when he starts to yell at him. I go, that is a guy who is a true fighter. You can't question it. So I go, they have unfinished business a little bit. I'll be doubtful that he takes that fight because Masvidal may look at it as like, I don't want to fight Edwards because it's not worth it. Or personally, I think stylistically, they match up well because Jorge is a great striker with good wrestling. Edwards is the same, but Jorge will push the pace a little bit more. He's also fought the better opponents. He has the more power, in my opinion. He's more experienced. I would love him. Personally, my fight I would love to see him and Kobe Covington since they both lost to Usman. I don't think that's going to happen because Majidov, one, Covington's coming off a loss. He's also, stylistically, he's supposed to be a bad matchup, but after, because of the wrestling, like you would think Covington could just spam a bunch of takedowns as well. But the thing is, is like Masvidal showed really, really good takedown defense in this fight. So I go for Ute Covington. That may be a bad fight for him, possibly. And also you got the backstory. There are training partners in American Top Team. There's a lot of videos of them. They weren't only training partners. Like, they were living together. They were best friends. Uh, Ute Covington lived on his cou- on Masvidal's couch. Ma- uh, they even fight, like, their striking is a little bit similar. Like, the certain types of techniques they do. So, um, you know, I would love to see them fight. I think style it's a great idea of a super fight slash money fight with two popular figures in the sport. Also, you know, this makes sense uh, ranking-wise. Um, maybe they'll do that one. I think that's more likely than Leon Edwards. Or I think uh, Mazda goes back to fighting Nate Diaz because he said that he wants to, f- uh, you know, him and Nate had a good fight. Personally, I thought Jorge didn't look like he was in any trouble during that whole time. But, you know, it was for the BMF belt. You know, you don't want to end the fight with a doctor stoppage for the baddest mother. <clears throat> and um, so I understand where Horry's is coming from. I would understand if they do a Nate fight. I would watch it. Everybody would watch it. Um, that's probably the most likely. But I would love to see a fight with him and Colby Covington. That would be amazing. I think very interesting-wise in the martial arts sense, how they both match up with each other and also story-wise. Um. So that basically uh, recaps the fight. Uh, that was very good. You know, I'll be honest. I, I love Kamar. I think Kamar Usman could be one of the greatest of all time. But I could see why Saturday night definitely deterred a lot of people when you keep getting a guy who just keeps diving over and over again for these takedown attempts. I totally understand that. I thought it was kind of boring as well, to be honest. In at least the latter half of the fight. Um, I hope you enjoyed. I hope I got you thinking a little bit. Um, Hopefully this uh, will get some people into MMA. Explain a couple things. And um, I just want you guys to get invested. And maybe the next time one of these guys fight another card. You'll say, hey, I'll buy it. Because, uh, you know, um, I watch them and I'm a fan. So thank you, everybody. Uh, Hope to see you in the next podcast. And uh, stay safe. If you liked what you were listening to, then bless you. I still don't know how you got through it. Please subscribe to Fans United and give us a you know a little rating. Do it for the future and do it for the audio world. Thank you.